We have Indiana fever, fever. Lockdown women's basketball starts now. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can listen to us every day wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for making us your first listen. You can also follow our work at thenexthoops.com. The Next covers women's basketball 24-7, 365. And the great Tony East covers the Indiana fever for us. Tony, did you think we would be talking about success for the Indiana fever so soon here on the podcast? No, especially because entering the season, success was not really a word that they were using or saying when discussing their upcoming season, it was improvement, improvement, improvement. And that has been there and led to success. And success is a funny word talking about a one and two team, but they've looked way better along the way than they did last year. A number that really stuck out to me right away was that 99.6 defensive net rating. And that may seem mediocre. It's sixth in the league of 12, but this team was by far the worst last year. They were 107.8. And they're doing it with rookies. I mean, have you, what have you seen, I guess, out of the rookies at the defensive end? And what's allowing them to be so good so quickly in Marianne Stanley's system? The standout one that sort of changed the dynamic from last year, and I'm going to credit one vet and one rookie here since you brought up rookies, is Queen Egbo from the rookie perspective. You know, when they drafted her, they touted like Queen Egbo can be mobile on the perimeter and be this defender who can move around, but also still, you know, hang inside and make Sylvia Fowles' life as hard as anyone can make right. Sylvia Fowles' life. And, you know, I didn't watch a ton of Baylor, so I okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And again, Fowles, that game I just referenced, uh, eight rebounds, five steals, three blocks for Egbo in that game. Like that mobility is already on display. She can hang in the pick and roll a little bit better, which makes life easier on the guards as well. And then the other thing they've done, is Alana Smith is playing center for them. And she, you know, has some experience as a, as a more interior player, but more of a forward prototype, especially with Phoenix. So her moving to the five, she's mobile and she can spread it out a little bit too. So going from last year with Jantel Lavender, Tierra McCowan, Betty Hattar more as your interior defenders to pivoting to Agbo and Alana Smith, who are way more mobile, has kind of made their defense more mobile, more speedy, and they're able to switch a little more and cut off ball handlers in a way that, makes them much more threatening on that end of the floor. And they've been shutting down three-point shooters much better than last year, too, as a result of that. So those two players are the two that stand out to me in the Fever's growth on the defensive end so far. You know, 2-4-6-10 and 10 is the thing that Lynn Dunn talked about again and again. And I think we both had some skepticism as, to, uh, as far as either whether they keep the picks and then once they kept them, whether we could see an impact right away. But Queen Egbo was the fourth of those four picks uh, I did not necessarily think Queen Egbo would make an immediate transition as an effective two-way player, but without question, she's got a positive defensive net rating right out of the box and is shooting 50% from the field. I think it was really significant, but Alana Smith is such a great example. She's an example like a million about the fact that this lead needs a G lead because Smith just simply didn't get regular time on a Phoenix Mercury team that by definition, when they had Brittany Griner and Diana Taraji, was built to win now. And it is an under the radar signing 
to be able to bring Smith in and see what she can do. And Indiana has the gift of minutes to allow people to do that. And so seeing Smith do that as well made you feel like this team is deeper than we necessarily thought they would be. Yeah, she's an interesting one, too, because when I projected the Fever roster, I kind of penciled her as like a wing forward in my head. And I was like, oh, they, they have enough of those. You know, she's not she won't be on the team. But had I known that she, you know, they'd say, no, she's she's a center. We think she can be a five. You know, that would have changed the calculus in that decision. Like she started their first preseason game. She started against the Lynx in their first win. Like her ability to stretch it out on offense has been huge, too. Like I, I talked about the defensive change from McCowan, Lavender and and Betty to this year, but even having a five who can shoot it has really opened stuff up to make it easier for players like Destiny Henderson, who's a rookie who's adapting to a new league and other rookies who are handling the ball more to have space to do what they need to do. So she has been a really under the radar addition and one that, you know, just playing a different position and being more versatile sort of changed the makeup of the fever. It's such an important point. It is fundamentally more Marianne Stanley roster than she has had during her time at the fever. And I think, I think the point you make about Smith is well taken. Uh, I do think we're seeing early on also that destiny Henderson drafted at 20 was clearly slept on by teams in a way she shouldn't have been it, you know, double figures and points per game. She's doing it efficiently from the field, even from three, uh, you know, running point, as well and doing a lot of the ball handling that they need her to do to be successful. Do you think it's, it's three games. So, you know, it's a small sample size and I'm hesitant to um, draw broad conclusions from that. But do you think we have seen at this point, that destiny Henderson is pretty clearly somebody who can play in this league. I think so. And you know, there's a reason like she was there at the draft, right? She went 20th, but she went on stage. They thought, or at least she was invited to be one of the 12 there that would be picked. So falling to 20, obviously a big pick for the fever to get someone there. And so I'll be interested to see how she kind of goes forward because Danielle Robinson now back uh, from overseas. Her first practice actually is today. Mm-hmm. So Hendy might move to the second unit. I'm not sure what Marion Stanley's thinking there. I haven't had a chance to speak to her since the changing of the roster, but yeah, as a starter, she's filled in really well. The thing that makes it tough to kind of read exactly what she can be is, you know, her first preseason game, she goes four for four, and it was awesome, and she looks electric. And then the second one, she was two for 13, I believe. I don't have it in front of me. Right? So a lot of inconsistencies, and that's expected from a young player. That's not like a knock. You know, Melissa Smith's had up and down games as well, and she was the second pick. But it's hard to really feel what she is. Like, as a starter in the regular season games, her shooting percentage gets better every game. Her assist count's maintained about the same. She can get in the lane and make plays happen. So she definitely looks like a W quality player. She's just had a little bit of inconsistency so far. And I'll be curious when she kind of settles in to that second unit role, which definitely seems more natural for a rookie as well. If she'll just really take off and look like a really effective player, or if it'll take her a little bit to kind of settle in with a new unit, that will be very telling about her kind of growth in the league. What's striking to me, and and I know you can speak to this because you spoke to D Rob at practice, but what Danielle Robinson does best are the things that destiny Henderson needs to learn how to do. And so that strikes me as a particularly useful opportunity for mentorship, considering that the things that Henderson already does well, specifically shooting the three ball, uh, are are something that D-Rob just doesn't bring to the table. And so it's this combination of a mentorship that makes sense with a ceiling in Henderson that perhaps may exceed what we've even seen out of Daniel Robinson, who, to be clear, has had a very successful WNBA career. They could somehow be fused into one player. That would be quite an excellent WNBA point guard. Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. Like Daniel Robinson kind of known for being a nosy in your face kind of defender and has always been really solid on that end of the floor. I think that'll be helpful for Henny as she 
grows into a new league. And every rookie says it every season. This question will come up and this answer will happen at some point. Oh, I got to the W and it was great. And then I was surprised by how fast and strong everybody was. You know, it had, every year a rookie's going to say that at some <laughs> point. And for a player like Destiny Henderson, who's even short for her position, you know, that's going to come up at some point. So having a, a vet who's been there on good teams and can control an offense and can really be an in-your-face kind of defender is a perfect kind of mentor for her in her young career. Mitch, also in a time that we are back in the locker rooms and able to talk to players regularly, Daniel Robinson is a plus-plus interview. So that's a very helpful thing for those of us in media. More pluses, yeah. More pluses, yes. Welcome back, D-Rob. We're going to talk about the other rookies as well, but first we're going to pay some bills. And our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. When I say all your betting needs, you know, there are people like – Tony East, who cover the Pacers on the NBA side and the Fever on the WNBA side. It's a spectrum of basketball. And what I appreciate and respect about Bet Online is they have WNBA odds. They have NCAA women's basketball odds. They go the extra mile to make sure that it can be one-stop shopping for your betting. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online is where the game starts writ large. So Tony, I am, and you know this, because we've talked about this for months. I'm obsessed with Emily Angler's game and I'm, you know, it was never going to be the most easy, obvious fit. She doesn't fit into a box of, you know, this is your typical three. This is your typical four. This is your typical two, but she does so many things that I think are valuable and specifically valuable to Indiana. She has a net positive defensive rating so far. What have you seen out of Emily so far up close? This is going to be a, a roundabout way of describing Emily Angsler, but there was a preseason moment. Aaron Whalen buried it or got fouled or something. I forget what happened. Aaron Whalen made a good offensive play. And this was right in front of our media seats on the baseline. And Emily Angsler went to high five Aaron Whalen. Normal high five. It was also the loudest high five I've ever heard in my life. Right? Like it was piercing sound of just bam, two hands perfectly colliding. And from what I know of Emily Angsler and have watched her play with furious intensity and just all over you, fiery all the time. That high five was the perfect summation of the way she plays. That that was a New York high five. That's not a Midwest (laughs) high five. Yes, it was. Yeah, Aaron Whalen from from Dayton uh, learning the New York high five. I don't know where she's from, from, but yeah, that was a a funny telling moment for me of kind of like, oh, wow, her intensity is like everywhere, everywhere. You know, she's always got the arm up on whoever she's guarding, like right up on him on offense. She's got this like she just gets it right to the 10 and she's really interesting because she never looks to finish. She does good at these wraparound passes that get other players involved. Like she's so unique. You're right. It's impossible to put her in a box. Like I keep trying to think of, of comparisons. If I've seen a player like this before and it's, there's not very many, she's a special player because she does stuff that you don't see very often on both ends. And that intensity sort of makes it all work and come together in a way that gets all the other fewer players involved as well. Melissa Smith a lot of people thought, all right, this is a five when she gets to the W. She's obviously been playing primarily at the four for Indiana so far. So there's kind of a two-part question to it. Uh, one, she is, and it's interesting to me, and it makes sense, because in a lot of ways that is asking a lot of her, and that is the arguably the biggest transition to suddenly be guarding WNBA four. She's the lone rookie with a negative defensive rating so far, so what are you seeing from her in that role? And then more to the point, and we talked about this, Queen Egbo, Melissa Smith, Emily Anschler, 
we need to see the three of them working together. What are you seeing out of the three of them as uh, a, a subunit within uh, the five the five person rotation that they're in? I feel a little bad for Nalissa Smith's stats right now because uh, game one, WNBA debut. Hey, you're guarding Deladon. Okay, game two. All right, you're guarding NECA this time. All right, number three, Sylvia Fowles. It's like, talk about trial by fire to join the league out of college, especially playing, like you said, maybe not like a new position, but a little different. You know, that Baylor program and their coaching change kind of, and and Egbo and Nalissa have talked about this. Like, they learned a lot of WNBA level stuff, right? Mm. Like pro-level skills and, and and sets and things like that but yeah so, nikki calling a fruit basket there's no question <laughs> yeah. yeah do people do that anymore are fruit baskets around i think so there's something there's edible arrangements there's things like oh, that yeah. you know there's there there's different options i think so i think so i still do it from time to time i don't i don't know if i've gotten i need to send my friends fruit baskets i need to bring back the, the 20 somethings millennial fruit basket exchange uh, but but for Nalissa, you know, that's obviously tough, but she's been really interesting defensively because she's she's the one where you when you talk about the speed and power change from the college to the pro level beyond guarding amazing players. You know, she has had to work on foot speed a lot because she's playing the four more than the five next to other players. So her defense has been like it's never looked out of place to me or like she looks lost or anything like that. It's just an adjustment. Right. And so she's like tasked a lot with rebounding because she's pushing in transition when she's getting the rebound. She's not looking for guards. So. I think on the defensive end, she'll probably remain mostly on that negative side of their defensive rating this season, both because of the lineup she's in and because of the the matchup she's going to continue to have. Like as long as she's starting, she's going to be guarding those players. Having her grow in that in that skill set is valuable for the fever long term. But she'll get better at it for sure. And with Egbo and with Engsler, you know, those are all very intense players with unique styles to their game that, you know, have that all you know, the Emily Engsler fire spreads to everyone on the floor as real fires do. So I think they'll be a good defensive unit as they grow together. But Nalissa specifically, and her offense has been awesome, two double-doubles already, but playing a little out of position could take her a little bit longer to kind of develop on that end of the floor specifically. Not a player I'm worried about for precisely the reason. No way. Yeah, going going to be a big contributor. And another player I'm not worried about who, for whatever reason, I guess because we focus on the new, but she has not talked about enough. Uh, and I mean, this not as media criticism. I, this is arguably self-criticism. It's Kelsey Mitchell. Kelsey Mitchell, who is a delightful spark of a star dating back to her college days at Ohio State, but has always been essentially asked to do whatever uh, the Indiana Fever need her to do. Uh, it reminds me a lot, to be honest, though they're obviously fundamentally different players, of Candace Parker early on in the Sparks years, uh, which is to say that Candace Parker sometimes was asked to be primary ball handler. Sometimes she was asked to be primary five, and the L.A. Sparks were not really built to maximize her. They were built where she was asked to pick up the pieces because she could do a little bit of everything. And I feel like Kelsey Mitchell has been that for the Fever so far. Her numbers are off the charts good this year, is the most efficient we've seen her at the offensive end. She continues to be an underrated defensive player as well, and that continues apace. I'm just wondering what you see from Kelsey Mitchell. And again, sort of the big picture question I have had about Kelsey Mitchell since the moment she came into the league is, what is her ceiling? What does that actually look like? Somebody with her prodigious gifts. I think that... You know, and we already heard Marianne Stanley say they're going to be campaigning for this. Like she, the All Star is there. Like the potential to be that level of player and finally be at that level is there. And this is just a small 
mini rant to the side, not related to your question, but I think she probably would have been an all-star in 2020 had they named them in the bubble year, but they didn't. Uh, but anyway, that is the level she would like to be at this year and get to. And she was just unbelievable against the Lynx in their first win at 13 points in the second quarter alone. She's burying the threes. Her scoring obviously looks awesome. I think as of right now, she has the longest consecutive streak of double-digit scoring games in the league mm-hmm. because she's so dynamic, can pull up from three, can get into the paint, can make it happen from basically anywhere on the floor. So her scoring has always been three level, and that's what's made her really dangerous. The thing that's going to make Kelsey Mitchell better this season to me and make her a more standout offensive impact player for this Fever team is, when I talked to her at a training camp practice, she said, and it wasn't a knock on the last team, although it, it, it sort of is just by the nature of what she said. She said, this year's team has a lot of weapon and quick decision makers on offense that like if I pitch them the ball, they're going to make a play. They can shoot it, they can pass, they can put it on the floor, whatever. And already her assist numbers are way up from last year right that's and so i think that's where she's going to level up this year she we know she can score her three was falling in their win against minnesota right she can be that threat from anywhere there's a reason they've kept her around and given her such a big money contract extension already mm-hmm. but if she can level up to being a not even an awesome one but just a pretty good creator for the rest of her fever teammates who are much more dynamic offensive players and much quicker that's what's going to take her to the level of like oh wow she is really really unstoppable and, you know, Crystal Dangerfield, no longer with the Fever, said, like, when she was with Minnesota, she always viewed Kelsey Mitchell as one of those players. It's like, there's no way to stop her. She's just got a whole bag of tricks that makes her hard to guard. So I think this year with a supporting cast, maybe not necessarily better yet because it's a lot of rookies, but better fitting around her speedy sort of creation abilities will allow Kelsey Mitchell to really level up. And, oh, by the way, she's still shooting worse from two-point range than she has in past seasons. She could still even improve those stats higher. Yeah. as the season continues to level out. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what she can do and if she can reach that all-star level that Marianne Stanley seems to think she's going to. My hot take is that Kelsey Mitchell already is what people hope Arike Agumboale will be someday. And I think Kelsey Mitchell has a higher ceiling even than that. That's how much I think of her. Yeah, I think you were the one asking, you know, Lynn Dunn about it at her at her introductory press conference, like, is this a player you can build around? And it, no second guessing from Lindon. Yes, centerpiece, cornerstone. We're making decisions thinking this player is a key part of our team going forward. I thought that was very telling and a very nice endorsement of Kelsey Mitchell's ability. Lindon is no dummy when it comes to basketball, to put it mildly. <laughs> Lindon gets it. In an it. all-time interview at the same time, yeah. Oh, God. It, I showed her that she's back in the league. I want to talk a little bit about your Crystal Dangerfield piece as well, you know, her brief and uh, sweet moment there, and also about what we can expect Friday night, where I get to see the fever in person, because uh, they're coming to New York, and I'm really looking forward to it. But first, I want to talk about Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of mates and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions? Trust me, they're intimidating to me. I don't know a damn thing about my car. And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on the computer, choosing the only brand the warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with your access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So Friday night, the Fever are going to come into New York. They're one and two. The Liberty are going to be one and one coming off of a really interesting win over Connecticut and a horrifying loss to Chicago where 
Han Shu was the scoring leader with 10 points in nine minutes. And as Sandy Brondello said after the game, essentially nothing worked. What are you looking for out of this one? And I just related to that. How do they go about replacing Crystal Dangerfield, who had to, by definition, be let go on a hardship contract? I'm, I'm always kind of interested in the Liberty Fever games and growth because the bubble year was the one where you know, the Liberty were the worst team in the league and Sabrina was injured and all, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they sort of went from kind of bad to attempting to grow at the same time. And the only dip, well, there's many differences, but the bigger difference so far is lottery luck for one team than the other. How much does that matter as they grow? And the Liberty are way better now and have made substantially better additions to their team at this stage, including Laney, who was cut by the Fever after preseason one year. But you know, it's always fascinating when these teams play. And if you'll recall, last year, game one of the WNBA season was, was Fever, Liberty, and Sabrina hit an iconic buzzer-beating shot that really set the tone for that season for New York. So I always think those games are fascinating. I'm really looking forward to it. Two kind of faster-paced teams just by the nature of their players – Always leads to some fun and some sloppiness, too, because they're kind of younger teams as the ball's whizzing around. So I always love when those two teams play because it's kind of a self-barometer for me of how the growth patterns are going. But it seems yeah. like New York is going to take a – I mean, this is a two-game sample, so maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But their <laughs> win against Connecticut was to the point that I'm like, man, you know, they could really take a bigger step forward than I thought this year, although the Chicago loss maybe should have talked me off that ledge more than it has. So I'll be interested to see how the Fever can keep up with them. The Fever have played a bunch of good teams already and have hung tough mostly the whole time. But uh, this is a new ba- uh, a- opponent for them where a lot more of the-, the difficulties in slowing down New York is from guard play, not from interior play. So it'll be a new challenge for the Fever to see how they defend a team that is built that way. And just to your point of uh, Crystal Dangerfield, and you wrote a terrific piece. People should go check it out at thenextoops.com. Again, your work, and we've talked about this off there, has just been stellar covering this team, and, and it's really appreciated. And Crystal Dangerfield had to be cut. Uh, there were a lot of people giving the fever a hard time for cutting her when her hardship contract ended. But it's not as if you can even convert a hardship contract to another type of contract, correct? Yeah, the, the rules are tough there. I don't know this 100%, but I think even you have to wait a certain number of days after a hardship ends to bring a player back, right? So it's not right. even like they could have said, just hang out in Indy and we'll figure it out. Like they have to wait a certain amount of time anyway. So yeah, they they, they had a hardship because uh, Bria Hartley, Daniel Robinson, and Atlanta Coates were overseas and Coates and Robinson returned mm-hmm. on uh, earlier this week, Wednesday, Tuesday. I don't know the exact day. So they had to release Crystal Dangerfield despite her. Uh, of course, the perfect time popping up. And that's one of those ones where you can you see, like, maybe there'll be a story here, right? So I talked to Crystal Dangerfield. Crystal Dangerfield. Wow, that was a mess. On Monday, you know, they're, they're playing her former team the next day. You know, how's this all been for you? You go from overseas to Minnesota to Indiana so fast. You're playing your former team. What's it all like? And you kind of think, okay, there, there's a story here if she plays really well or if it you know becomes a thing. And then she played lights out, perfect basketball, was a leader of the fever and plus minus and just made it happen. It was like, a perfect story for her time in Indiana that the last day she was with the team, the day before her birthday, she was able to just kick some butt against her old team. It really was, was awesome for her. And she showed that she still got it right. She's still definitely like, to your point about the G league being needed from earlier, like she seems like the top of the list to me, a former rookie of the year struggling to stick. Like they need a few more spots for players somewhere. And if that's an extra G league, that seems perfect because she was great for the fever and especially against her former team. No question about it. So Tony East, again, follow Tony because he does such great work on the fever. And thank you, listeners, for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Uh, But, Tony, you can speak to this. There's uh, now it's uh, 
I, I don't know if it's new this year or if it's been around for a while, but there's a professional league for men to play basketball as well. Is that correct? There is. That's right. The actual NBA. Yeah. The NBA. And so uh, from the first listen being locked on women's basketball, made your second listen locked on NBA from the first jump all the playing tournament to the last possession of your finals. Locked on experts like Tony take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. Do you guys have uh, an NBA team out in Indiana also? We do over one of my shoulders. I'm still bad at like the pointing on when I'm looking at myself thing over one of my shoulders, there is a Pacers shirt. Uh, that is the team here as well. Playing in the same stadium as the Fever for now. I cover them as well for Very. the Lockdown Network. So. And, and Tony does wonderful work on that as well. I kid, the NBA has 30 teams. Someday there'll be 30 teams on the WNBA side. But in the meantime, we're covering all 12 here every single weekday. We follow 24-7, 365 and cover at the next hoops. Make sure you subscribe. Support the work of people like Tony East, who just does an exceptional job with both. Uh, thank you, Tony, for your time. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you, of course, again tomorrow. Have yourself a wonderful Thursday. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. <laughs>